Good morning, Cornerstone Bible Church, and thank you for visiting us, any visitors. It is exciting, hopefully, that, uh, Lord willing, as Francis mentioned earlier, we'll be able to start meeting together soon, at least a portion of us. We're looking forward to hearing uh, what those restrictions are when lifted, and Lord willing, there'll be more of you here, although very thankful for those few who are here on the live stream team uh, helping us learn from God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to James 1. We'll be focusing on verse 12 this morning, and you'll see when you read it, it's kind of a little standalone unit. It works both really well at finishing the previous paragraph, but also uh, prepping us for what is next. Have you ever purchased a fake or a copy, something you thought that was authentic, but it really wasn't? Now, when most people buy a Rolex on the streets of New York City, they know that they're buying a fake. And when the price is right, you're not as worried about that item's uh, uh, authenticity. But the more expensive something is, the more we are concerned whether it is genuine. If one is buying, for example, a a piece of crystal, a, a crystal vase or a candy bowl, from, from, a, uh, from a garage sale, and it only costs 50 cents, you're not really concerned if that pretty-looking crystal vase or cup or whatever, if it's just glass or if it's that more expensive and rare uh, crystal that's made with lead. Lead crystal can be worth thousands. For 50 cents, you don't care, but before spending even hundreds on a piece of crystal much less thousands, you would know, want to know if it were authentic or not. And one website, fortunately, tells us how. So the next time you're at a garage sale wanting to find out if crystal's real or not. But to determine whether you own authentic leaded crystal glassware, hold it up to a ray of sunlight. And when sunlight passes through crystal, the website says, it acts as a prism and creates a rainbow. In another test, you use a spoon to lightly tap just beneath the rim of the glass. If you hear a musical note, it's crystal. But if not, it's just glass. The website continues. Wet your finger and run it around the rim of the glass. Crystal emits a musical sound. Glass does not. Brothers and sisters, this morning we're going to see that God uses uses crystal, uses trials for an important purpose in our lives. God is using trials to reveal whether you are one of those who loves him, whether you truly belong to him. And this revelation is for his eternal glory, but it is also for our benefit now. In our study of, uh, through uh, James, we're kind of at a halfway point in James' discussion of the necessity of enduring through trials. In verses 2 through 4, James explained how God uses trials to teach us endurance, which results in our, in our maturity, in our growth. James continued in verses 5 through 8, showing that we count trials as joy and we endure 
But that, that's going to require our willingness to have a submitted life, a, a life committed to God's wisdom. We can ask God for that wisdom, but we need to be committed to gaining it, to living life in God's way as skilled as possible. In verses 9 through 11, James appears to have left the topic of endurance, maybe. He contrasts how the lowly and the rich are each to respond to their circumstances. But both lowliness and riches test our faithfulness in how we respond to God's sovereign will for our lives. Really, both require a kind of endurance. Today in James 1 verse 12, James refocuses our attention on the main topic of endurance. Remember that he's writing to persecuted Jewish believers in Jewish communities scattered across the Gentile, the Gentile world. Many of them were impoverished, and some of them were even further ostracized, not just as, as Jews living in a Gentile world, but even more as Jews who had accepted a Messiah, Jesus Christ, that the rest of the Jews rejected. James, Jesus' half-brother, his, his, his brother in the flesh, was writing as early as, as 10 years after the resurrection of Christ. So it's as early as 45 AD, maybe up to 49. And James is concerned whether the, these Jewish Christians who've confessed Christ, who are now going through these trials, whether they have authentic faith, faith that will outlast their current trials. We need that authentic faith as well. I'm going to read James 1, and I'll start again at verse 1, but, but we'll read up to verse 12. James, a, blood, uh, blood servant, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, with the Lord, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Today we're going to draw three ways we should respond to God's pronouncement of blessing on those who persevere in James 1.12. And this is really what James has here. He has a, 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 a beatitude of his own, much like the beatitudes that Jesus has in Matthew 5 and in Luke 6, like the beatitude that we learned about a few weeks ago in Psalm 1. This is, this, this is a beatitude written by James under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at three ways we ought to respond to God's pronouncement of blessing on those who persevere in trials. And I do know that these last six months in many ways, various ways, have been a trying time for many of us. How do we respond in trials? Well, first, we need to value God's approval. 
Value God's approval, his commendation of us. Value God's approval. The word bless can be a difficult word to, to, to capture in English. In ways you could say, and it's tempting to say, and some translations might, happy is the man. But that man who's blessed may not always feel happy. Like someone saying to a couple with a newborn, look at the happy family. Those parents, I guarantee you, would not always feel happy, though their circumstances definitely are. Maybe you could say, fortunate is the man, or how lucky is the man who perseveres. But that gives the idea that, that this blessing is a matter of chance. Blessed is almost as if James is saying, congratulations to the man who perseveres. To say someone is blessed is to confirm the evidence of God's grace upon their lives. To confirm the evidence of God's grace upon their lives. Sometimes people say they are blessed even if they don't have a right relationship with God, even if they don't, don't believe in God. You can imagine that scene when the family is sitting around a Christmas tree. Their bellies are full off of whatever their, 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 their traditional Christmas dinner is. There's presents yet to be unwrapped and gushing with a warm feeling, someone leans back and says, look how blessed we are. Maybe by God blessed, maybe by chance. that They're somehow aware, regardless of what they believe, that, that, that they don't really deserve all this. That they've been overfed, not just in a literal way, but that, that they've gotten more than they deserve. So they say, I'm blessed. And that, that, that captures some of the idea here, that we have received God's grace. When God's word says that someone is blessed, it is a radical announcement. It's a radical announcement, and I know we can get used to hearing this. It's a radical announcement. It's really contrary to everything Scripture reveals what humans by nature deserve. See, when, when it says, blessed is a man, it really is a theological puzzle. We should all start scratching our, our heads wondering, how can this be? How can it be that someone is blessed by God? That's not what they deserve. How can those who are born rebels be blessed by God? How can God pronounce his approval upon them? It is only by God's grace. It is by grace that God's own Son took the wrath that sinners deserved. That's what happened on the cross. It's by grace that Christ was cursed on the cross by God in the place of sinners who deserve to be cursed. To be theologically consistent in a sense, all of Scripture should just say, cursed is the man, cursed is the man, woe to the man. But because of God's grace, we can say blessed is the man. That's because of what Christ did on the cross. It is by grace that God grants sinners repentance from sin and self-righteousness that would never happen apart from God's grace. It is by grace that God's Spirit opens up eyes that are blind to sin so that we would place our faith in desperation and hope and in confidence, believing in God's own Son. It is by grace that God can declare the guilty righteous through faith. That is only by grace. 
It is by grace that the hindrances to our blessing have been forgiven. That all that sin, if we put our hope in Christ, has been forgiven. And that the righteous requirements of God's law, in a sense the prerequisites for blessing, have been fulfilled by God's own Son in our place. So that God's scripture can say, blessed is the man. That's the only reason why anyone can look forward to approval from God can be the recipients of God's blessing. It is by God's grace. See, God would have been just to only tell man bad news. After the fall, after he gave the command to Adam and Eve not to eat, there could have been no more words out of God's mouth for eternity except, woe is the man. Cursed is the man. And he could have ended the whole thing then, or he could have let it continue for billions of years. Cursed is the man. Cursed is the man. But because God is gracious, God proclaims in the gospel, blessed is the man. And blessed is the man who has faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that a man or a woman or a child goes from that position of cursed to being blessed. See, someone who is in this relationship of grace, who has been blessed by God, who has this kind of announcement made upon themselves, is resting in the rays of God's approval. God's grace is shining on them like the sun. That person is enjoying the peace of God's commendation. That the holy God says, I am blessed. That person is in a right relationship with God, an unbreakable covenant relationship with God, anchored in the perfect obedience, in the sacrificial death, and in the justifying resurrection of Jesus Christ. Their blessing is inseparable from the blessing of Christ, from the blessing that they have because they are in Christ. There's no blessing outside of Christ. I mean, we might enjoy physical blessing in God's common grace, but, but to say, blesses the man, that is only for the one who is in Christ. James describes this blessed man as the one who perseveres under trial. Now, we've seen that idea previously in verses 3 and 4, and the noun is there. It's translated as endurance in the New American Standard. James says in verses 3, the testing of your faith produces endurance. And in four, let endurance have its perfect result. The word endurance is the noun form of the verb perseveres we see here in verse 12. That is what the blessed man does. He perseveres. Its root, at the basic of the word, means to stay under. The one who is blessed perseveres. They, they hold out and they don't give in and they hold on. When pressed, they don't give up. That word is used of Jesus' own suffering, and it's translated as, as endured there. It could be perseveres, persevered. Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3, describes how Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He, he persevered through the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That despises doesn't mean he hated, but, but, but that he, he thought it as nothing compared to the joy before him. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, verse 3 of Hebrews 12. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. He persevered. Jesus stayed in the suffering, and he remained on the cross. 
He stayed under the wrath of God when he could have called legions of angels to intervene. Instead, Christ persevered. That is a picture of how we are to persevere not under God's wrath because Christ took that, but to persevere in trial, to to continue in. A fascinating aspect of of this Greek word, persevere, is how it's used in, in, in the Greek Old Testament. It's used in the Psalms to translate a Hebrew word that we translate now as the word wait. And it shows that in that Greek mind, this idea of enduring is including this idea of waiting in confidence, holding out for God to act. And I'm going to show you a, a couple verses where in the Greek version of the Old Testament, our, our English version says wait, because I think it helps pull together what persevering is. Psalm 27 verse 14 is one of these examples. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently. And that word there, waited and patiently, they're, 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 they're both this word for persevering in the Greek version. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited waiting for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. Psalm 130, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. That's what persevering is. It is waiting The one who endures does more than hold on. They actively wait for God's help while they hold on. They endure with confidence, certain that God is overseeing the process of their maturity, so they're waiting with confidence. Perseverance is patience while God keeps his promise. Perseverance is patience while God keeps his promises. You're waiting for for, for God to act the way that he said he's going to, whether in the short term or the long term. Now, as mentioned, when we first looked at this word for trials, and that's what we see in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. This word for trials we saw in verse 2 of James, considered all joys, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And I'm I mentioned then that that word trial can be translated in three ways. And in fact, it is in these passages here. It has the idea of trial, as it is here, testing, or, or, or temptation. The word means to test, to test something to learn its nature. And our English word trial has this same sense of testing. Now, not always you can say, oh, I'm going through a tough trial. Now, and you don't necessarily think test then, but... A trial can also be an evaluation, like a time trial, to see if someone has qualified to compete in a race. They go through a time trial. The trial has a sense of testing with it. In verse 13, James is going to use the the verb form in its sense of, of temptation. That, 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 that attraction we face to do something wrong. When someone is tempted, they are also facing a test. Now, we're going to see there that God doesn't tempt. But when someone's tempted, they do go through a test. Will they listen to their flesh or to say in or to the world? And will they choose sin or will they choose obedience? So in this word at its core is this idea of testing to find out what something really is. So in verse 2, when James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, the focus there 
I think as you're just reading through, it is the difficulties we face in life. But I think that as we read through James and we come to this speaking of, of, of particularly in the previous verses, uh, be, be, being humble and rich, I think he's, he's extending that broader to include this idea of testing. So we could say, blessed is the man who perseveres under testing. In the previous passage, in verses 9 through 11, there are two trials. There's poverty and riches. Now, if you weren't here last week listening with us, you may say, I want more of that trial riches. Uh, But we also saw in Scripture just how many warnings there are against that danger. So it's kind of interesting to think of that as a trial, but it is a test. Both lowliness and riches present a unique test whether the lowly will exalt in in their high position, whether the rich will exalt in their humiliation. It's a test how they're going to respond to God's providence. With this word, trial, James is talking about all the circumstances in, in which God requires us to persevere. All the circumstances of life which continually prevent, uh, present us with a choice, will I persevere? The blessed person endures when tried, when his authenticity is tested. The blessed person perseveres in need, but also in surplus, both in stability and in uncertainty. When lonely, as many of us have been during this whole staying at home, or when surrounded by friends, When life is pleasantly surprising, the persevering person continues, the blessed man. But also when life is horribly disappointing, they still persevere. When soothed and when struck, they persevere. When life is smooth sailing and when it's a stormy tempest, the blessed man remains steadfast. When God gives gifts, but also remains steadfast when they are tempted by their own sin. When the blessed man is tempted, when the blessed man is tried, when the blessed man is tested, he endures. The pattern of his life is perseverance when tested. Now, the blessed man is like Jesus' house built on the rock in Matthew 7. When it's tested by rains, the house stands. The blessed man perseveres like Noah's ark, withstanding the beating storm of that cataclysmic flood. The persevering person is ultimately earthquake-proof. His building may be shaken, and it may sway, but it doesn't collapse. He's like a tree in a storm that doesn't splinter, even when bent by the wind, even when struck by lightning. That man, that woman perseveres. Now, perseverance doesn't mean perfection. Steadfastness doesn't mean you don't stumble. Endurance doesn't mean that you don't envy those on an easier way. But the path of the blessed man is responding to God's providence, to his plan with patience, with waiting on God. It's not running to an altar of another God when things start getting scary. I got to go to someone else to answer my prayers. It's not rebelling and shaking your fist at God when things don't go the way that you want. 
It's not plunging yourself into pleasure so that you can escape and find a quick fix. It is remaining and waiting for God to keep his promises. The person who perseveres is the person who abides in Christ. We see that in John 15. They are branches in the vine and they continue in him even when they are pruned by the Father who gently and skillfully uses that sharp knife in that painful way to bring about fruit in our lives. They learn from these trials, from this pruning, to drink even more deeply from Christ, to be saturated by his word, and then to put that energy they draw from him into as much obedience, as much fruit-bearing obedience in their life as they can, to trust and obey That is what the persevering person does. They trust and they obey. That is the person that is blessed by God. So are you one blessed by God? Are you one who perseveres when tested? It doesn't mean perfectly, but consistently is the pattern of your life. See, remember, endurance is cultivated through trials. That's why we can count them joy. God is producing Endurance on us. Endurance is going to have its work to make us mature. And therefore, we are commanded, commanded to count those trials as joy. And that's why we can persevere through them. In your current trials, and you have many saints, I don't know all of them. Will you continue? Are you valuing God's commendation? Are you eager to hear him approvingly say, you are blessed You are those who are persevering under trials. Happy are you. Yeah, I know not happy, not fortunate, but you are blessed. I approve of you, child. Are you eager for the Father to say that in your trials? That's the first way we need to respond to James' beatitude here. We need to value God's approval. We also need to anticipate God's Reward. We need to anticipate God's reward. And see, James could have simply said, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, period. And it would have been true. But we would have been wondering, but why, James? Why am I blessed? I need some motivation to keep going and blessed is good, but, but why am I blessed? Why? How can you say this? So James tells those who persevere what they will receive from the Lord, the crown of life. The crown here often refers to that laurel wreath which the victor received in an ancient athletic competition in a contest including the, the, the original Olympic Games. And that's really probably a good way to, to, to think of them, this crown, like the medal given at the Olympic Games. When that victor stands on that podium and receives that gold medal, the athlete anticipates the honor of receiving that commendation, of receiving that medal, that, that, that reward for his labor. And unlike a race where there's only one winner, Every saint who perseveres will receive this crown of life, this this gold medal. And the crown of life represents God's reward for those who endured. God's reward for those who endured. 
Now, a, a gold medal has, has inherent value because it's made of gold. But a gold medal is really only worth about five to $600 depending on the value of gold. If you wanted to get $500 of gold, there's far easier way than, 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 than training and competing in the Olympics. It's really about the honor, about the reward, about the approval, about representing your country even. See, what the saint most anticipates is his father's approval. It's hearing his father say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our faith in our father's goodness is tested during our perseverance. As one commentator says, trials are God's way of asking, do you love me still? Well, it's, it's kind of a painful way to think about it, but it's sweet. As you think about your trials, God is asking, do you love me still? Will you still follow me? Do you love me still? Eventually, our perseverance will be completed. Our faith will be proven authentic. And we will be rewarded with this crown of life. A crown of gold is made of gold. And so what's a crown of life made of? Life. It's a crown which is life. And this is talking about eternal life. The one who perseveres under trial receives this eternal life in response to his endurance. He receives this eternal life in response to his endurance. Now, James is not saying that God waits to give eternal life until someone has persevered. And, and, and I know that some of you might be feeling nervous as we talk about the reward for our endurance being eternal life. Oh, like is this work salvation here? Has Isaiah gone off the deep end? Has there been too much time alone in his office? This is not kind of a spiritual version of, 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 of Beauty and the Beast. And if you've seen one of those Disney versions, the Beast is transformed at the end into a, a handsome prince only after he proves that he can love. See, this is not about what, what we do. God glorifying perseverance is impossible without us already being in Christ, without us already having this life, already being alive, already abiding in Christ. As Thomas Manton wrote, trials do not earn us heaven, but they always precede it. They don't earn us heaven, but they precede it. And that's, that's God's plan. It's God's sequence, endurance, and then crown of life. See, the crown of life is God's promised reward. It's how he welcomes saints into the full and eternal enjoyment of the blessings of eternal life. He welcomes saints into the full and eternal enjoyment of the blessings of eternal life. See, the already forgiven, those who have been forgiven by God through their faith in Christ, the already forgiven will never be crushed again by the weight of sin. The already reconciled will never suffer again that pain of knowing that they've disappointed their father as they chose sin and idolatry over him. The already redeemed will never again be tempted to return to sin's slavery. The already rescued will never again be threatened by sin, by Satan, or by the world. The already adopted will never again fear abandonment by the father. 
The overcomer will never again be disappointed by choosing defeat. The new creature will never again be discouraged by the corruption of the flesh or of this world. The justified will never again know any guilt. Those with eternal life will receive the fullness of eternal life. The fullness of life. Their eternal and certain inheritance. And that's that welcome that we're going to receive from the Father to those who endure, to those who are blessed. This is why they are blessed. It's why he says, blessed are those who, who, who persevere under trials. This is why they are blessed because of what they're going to get. After the, uh, the, the, the officiant at a wedding has pronounced the couple husband and wife, they are legally married, even if they still haven't had their first kiss as husband and wife. What is now legal has not yet been fully enjoyed. When one smells dinner, one is truly experiencing dinner. They're experiencing something real, right? That is dinner. But the fullness is not in smelling, it is in eating. And those who persevere will experience the fullness of eternal life when we receive that crown of life. Eternal life is to be had in this life. I don't want to dismiss that. John 3.15 says, Whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And if you are listening, and if you're saying, I don't have this quality of life, I don't know that all these things of, 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 of being forgiven and reconciled and redeemed and rescued and adopted and being an overcomer and being a new creature and being justified, you can have that life in this life now. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Present tense. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. Obey Jesus Christ today. He requires you to repent and to put your faith in Him. He is your Creator. Go to Him and get life from Him. Those who don't, it says, the wrath of God abides on Him. See, all who believe in Christ have this life, but the, the fullness of life is to be found in the age to come. It is not just eternal life in, in extent, it is the life of eternity. It is life appropriate to the new age. See, the life of eternity is more than just length of life. It's more than a quantity of life. It is a quality of life. Eternal life is the quality of life of fearing God and of loving God and of knowing God and serving God and clinging to God and walking with God. The crown of life is experiencing the fullness of that life we truly have now, but experiencing it perfectly in the unending age to come. And I want, and I want you, saint, to be drooling. I want, I, want, I want you to be salivating with the thought of how much better this crown of life is going to be than even this eternal life that we see, that we experience now as we are hampered by the sinful flesh in this sinful world. The crown of life is the eternal satisfaction of the deepest longing of each of God's children. And that is the longing for God himself. I don't know what your grandmother made that you loved. Um, and because all of our families are so different, it could be something very different. Uh, uh, you can imagine a grandmother who makes chocolate chip cookies. But the grandmother lives far away. 
And so the grandmother mails their grandson or the grandchild chocolate chip cookies. And those chocolate chip cookies are enjoyed. Those chocolate chip cookies are an incredible blessing. But they are nothing like being at grandmother's house and getting those chocolate chip cookies out of the oven when they're still melty. Right? We're looking forward to the crown of life, the fullness of this experience. We want melty eternal life. Jesus, uh, James describes his crown of life as he goes on in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. And then it says he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The Lord has promised to those who love him. See, there is a lot to be loved about this phrase. Now, James could have just said, which the Lord has promised to those who, what? And you'd probably expect persevere, right? To those who endure. But instead, James says that the crown goes to the one who loves God. And there are two profound implications we can draw from this. And the first Implication is that the one who perseveres is the one who loves God. The one who perseveres is the one who loves God. God is at the center of the heart that endures. The one who is steadfast longs to be home. He longs to be with his creator. He longs to be with his sovereign. He longs to be with his redeemer. The enduring heart has been righteously unsatisfied since God gave it new birth. See, it's always been away from home. And that, 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 that new heart has longed to be with God. The, the, the Old Testament tells the story of Jacob. How Jacob worked for seven years uh, uh, under Laban uh, to, before marrying Laban's daughter, Rachel. In Genesis 29, 20, it says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. That is what perseverance is. If Jacob felt that way about Rachel, how ought we to persevere waiting for our crown of life when, 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 when our capacity to love is burst apart so that we can love God as he ought to be loved? Not infinitely, because only he is infinite, but to the fullness of our finiteness. So that is the first implication we can draw from this sweet phrase, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The one who perseveres is the one who loves God, but there's another the one who gets the crown of life gets exactly what their heart wanted. The one who gets the crown of life gets exactly what their heart wanted, God himself. In the Greek, the verse just doesn't say the one who loves God, but more literally, the one loving God. The ones loving the only God, the God of the Bible, the God of Old and New Testament, will get God. As Christ is loving the Father, Jesus Christ, eternally God the Son, loving the Father, and as we live in Christ, as we are united to Him, as our vine is in Him the branch, we who, in, uh, who are alive in Christ now are those who are loving the Father with His love. Christ's life works in us, Christ's love for the Father. Christ's life works in us, Christ's love for the Father, and that's a miracle. And as Christ enjoys the Father's love for all eternity, we will as well. 
those who are loving him now can be certain that when that metaphorical crown of life is placed upon our metaphorical heads, when we stand on that podium and receive our reward for what Christ has worked in us, our hearts will finally be satisfied loving God. And all of our life, all of our years here, all of the endurance, all of the trials will seem but a few days. Imagine if it were possible, the, the anticipation a blind painter would feel, knowing, now he wasn't always blind, he, he used to be a, an incredible painter, but now blind, imagine the anticipation he would feel, knowing that when he awakes from an operation to restore his sight, he'll see again. Or imagine a, a, a musician who used to make beautiful music, who has gone deaf, and when he wakes from an operation, he will hear music again. But those experiences, would, will, they will be as nothing compared to the satisfaction of our hearts, of the hearts of those who love God upon receiving that crown of life. To have life no longer hindered by the sinful flesh so that we love Him as He deserves. The sight we have is real, but sin and self obstructs us from seeing the Father as He is. The hearing we have is real, but we have the wax of the world in our ears. Here, our real love can be diverted. We can put it towards, towards the creature, towards the things that God has made. But when that crown of life is received, our love will flow unhindered towards God. Streams of living water will become oceans of love, all flowing to God who has just eternally burst apart the dam of our hearts. That is why we can't wait to be with Christ. That's why to die is gain. To live is Christ. This is the life which God has promised to those who love him. You have, if you are in Christ, you have this life, you know it. But it is just a, a, a fraction of what we will experience. See, there's no power in the universe that can stay God's hand. It says it's promised to those who love him. A puff of wind has more effect on a mountain than Satan does upon God's promises. Even then we can upon God's promises. God has guaranteed his promises by signing his name in the precious blood of his son upon a covenant that has been sealed with the unbreakable stamp of his spirit. Those in whom God's spirit has breathed the life of God's son, who are loving the father with the son's own love, will receive this crown of life. Any natural laws, the, the, the laws of gravity, the laws of, 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 of thermodynamics, any laws of nature are as fickle as fortunes hidden in cookies compared to the certainty of God's promise. Those, those, those laws are just like those little bits of paper that mean nothing compared to God's promises. Listen to Thomas Manton again on God's promises. He says, every promise is built upon four pillars. God's justice or holiness, which will not let him deceive. God's grace or goodness, which will not let him forget. God's truth, which will not let him change. God's power, which makes him able to accomplish. See, saints, God's holiness, God's grace, God's faithfulness, his truth, God's power, going to keep his promises. 
if you are those who love him, you will undeniably receive this crown of life God has promised. So persevere, hold on in today's trial. That crown of life is coming. Will you receive this crown of life? Are you the one loving him? Does your heart rejoice as I speak? Or am I just talking just gibberish right now? God's people are the ones loving him and they want him more than anything. Is your soul both in anticipation but also in anguish waiting for this moment when you love God with the only hope, with the only love appropriate to this eternal age to come? Are you the one who will be blessed with this love for God, a love unquenchable and yet eternally satisfied? This is the kind of eternal life which God has promised to those who persevere, to you who persevere. So hold on, saints. As John Calvin writes, the crown follows the contest, right? The medal follows the race. The crown follows the contest. If then it be our chief happiness to be crowned in the kingdom of God, it follows that the contest, he means the trials, which the, with which the Lord tries us are aids and helps to our happiness. These trials are aids and helps to our happiness because we are getting the crown. Are you anticipating this life to come? And this is how we ought to respond to this beatitude of James. We are to value God's approval. We're to anticipate God's reward. And last, we are to trust God's timing. We are to trust God's timing. When will you receive this reward? You may have noticed I missed it in the middle of the verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Once he has been approved. The word approved has the idea of passing a test. Our ESV Bibles, for those of us reading, say, say stood the test. Once he has stood the test, when he has stood the test, the testing is done to determine the value or genuineness of something. That which tests it, which passes the test, is approved. It is authenticated. The, the believer who, who perseveres through a lifetime of God's ordained testing will receive the crown of life. But only after he's approved. After the genuineness of his faith has been evidenced by a life of endurance. And that, 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 that testing is different lengths for different people. Now the Lord doesn't need this test. The Lord knows those who are his, as it says in 2 Timothy 2.19. John 10.14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. The Lord Jesus knows who belong to him. He doesn't need to test them. God knows those whom he has given eternal life, but he does use tests to reveal our faithfulness to him, our faith in him. Abraham faced one such test when God called him to sacrifice his son Isaac. In Genesis 22 verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. God knew what was in Abraham's heart. Genesis twenty-two twelve. God said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Don't kill him, Abraham. And do nothing to him, for I, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You've passed the test, Abraham. 
The test revealed to Abraham the reality of his faith. His faith was genuine, and that faith was counted as righteousness. God similarly tested Israel in the wilderness for 40 years as he fed them with manna. Listen in Deuteronomy 8.2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. This is before they entered into the promised land. Remember all the ways God tested you, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Deuteronomy 8.16. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you. And that he might test you to do good for you in the end. The contest is for our good. To reveal to us who we are. To reveal to us the authenticity of our faith. Brothers, you who are being tested in the wilderness. Sisters, you who are being tested. It is for your good. Are you one each day who will live off the manna of God's Son found in God's Word? Will you keep His commandments? Will you stay with Christ day after day, coming and eating? Will you persevere in the desert while waiting for the promised land? Your authenticity, your faith is being tested. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Beloved, that testing will continue throughout this life. Perseverance is the lifelong work of the saint. A work accomplished as God works in you. The test will only be finished when your lungs empty, never to refill again. When your heart is done pumping blood. When there's no more mornings following night. As Jesus said in Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He's talking to persecuted saints there. Are you persevering with your final approval in mind, anticipating that reward? We are not in a sprint, but a marathon. Endurance, and I'm tempted to say, is not marked in in minutes or even days, but in years and decades. And in a way that's true, but it's also God's grace that he perseveres us in the minutes and in the days. Don't grow weary in doing good, saints. Don't give in when you're fatigued. Don't get angry when you're disappointed. Don't ignore when God disciplines and trains. Don't become lazy when you abound. And don't become bitter when you suffer loss. Persevere in faith, knowing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Saints, in a sense, you are God's crystal. God is tapping each of you with trials. He's testing you to see if you make that musical note or not. And that musical note will confirm to whom you belong. That musical note is is love lifted up for God. It it comes through the perseverance with which he tests you, as as he taps you with trials. It is confirming to you indeed that you are crystal, that you are the real thing, that you have real faith, that you are not cheap glass, that your faith is genuine. And that tone that that crystal makes as he taps you with trials, it is pleasing to him. 
It is in harmony with the same tone that Christ emitted when God struck him on the cross. It is the tone of endurance. It is the tone of perseverance. There will be no testing in heaven, no trials. There will be no temptations. That song of perseverance must be struck upon you here. But that tone will reverberate into eternity and it will be joined by the tone of countless others who have been similarly tested but whose faith was genuine. And you can imagine that the person who plays the, 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 the glass crystals with differing amounts of water and, and, and those tones together make a harmony and all of us who make that tone in response to trial are going to receive that crown of life. And those tones will be gathered together into an eternal symphony composed by God, conducted by His Son, empowered by His Spirit for His eternal glory. And, 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 and it's like, though, a live recording of this age, when there's because there's no trials, there's no temptation, there's no testing in eternity. So, so God's doing this live recording now. And that song of the saints' perseverance, perseverance here will bring God eternal glory in heaven. The song of the saints' perseverance here will bring God eternal glory in heaven. All those wearing the crown of life will listen, and they will marvel not at their own endurance, but at what God has done in them through Christ. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Let's pray. Father, we come unto you as people who in your sovereignty are tried. And we thank you that you are good, that you do prune, but you do so with care and with caution, that you are not reckless, you are not a, a child working on a bush with, with clippers or a chainsaw. You're gentle and gracious. I do thank you, Father, that you do bring trials. I thank you that those trials authenticate our faith. I thank you for the reward that we have to look forward to. I thank you, Father, for that crown of life that will be satisfied. Father, I pray in your grace that our hearts will be a little enlarged this morning, that we'll be able to, in a sense, pump more of Christ's blood in us that we might have more of a capacity to love for you, but that our longing for heaven would be an ache, not because of the trials here, but because of that crown of life, that capacity that, that to, to love you as you ought to be loved, Lord. May we have more love to you. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help saints to persevere with this good news, Lord. I pray that they would trust your timing they would anticipate your reward, that they would value your approval, your calling them blessed. Uh, help the saints to persevere and help us to be just such a witness of Christ's transforming power of what real life is in this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen.